Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Oh, good morning, good morning. It's Friday to the 26th of August, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBurge. Good morning. Ah, I feel compelled to bless you this morning and to declare the Lord's blessing on each of us and all of us. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Whew, could you use some peace today? Want some access to the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding? Longing for... Those even moments when peace like a river attendeth our souls. Yeah, instead, we're sort of living in the sea billows time of, uh, <clears throat> of public discourse and conversation. And so I just want to declare the peace of Christ this morning and invite God's presence and power and counsel, attendance. Yeah, and then that we would be aware of his presence. So turn your eyes upon Jesus um, and look full in his wonderful face. Because the things of the world are going to press in in all kinds of ways. And I don't want us to lose our focus um, where it should be, which is on the Lord above and the things of Christ. And even as we tend to the issues of the day, right, we're going to bring the mind of Christ to bear on, um, on all of the issues of the day. But we are not going to lose focus on his wonderful face. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day is Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen. As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. So one of the stories that uh, I like to tell my grandchildren now is the story of D.O.G. And D.O.G. is a dog whose um, owners thought it would be fun to just name him D.O.G. And then, you know, smush it together and call him D.O.G. So on his collar, you know, hangs a tag which upon which is engraved his name, D period, O period, G period, all in capital letters. And so he is D.O.G. But when D.O.G. stands over his own water bowl and sees his name reflected uh, back, what does he see? He sees G.O.D., And so D.O.G. comes to think that he is God. And the story goes on to talk about how all of the other animals um, help D.O.G. see that he is not God, because after all, D.O.G. is not present in all places at all times. D.O.G. is not all-knowing. D.O.G. has to sleep. D.O.G., well, has a master and is a dog. So anyway, there you go. Um, That is my reflection on Proverbs 27, verse 19. As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. 
What is reflected um, today of Christ in each and every one of us? Are we reflecting Christ, representing Christ well to the world that he so loves? I hope so. I hope so. We're going to um, uh, talk uh, in just a moment with Bruce Ashford, and um, we're going to talk about the public conversation that we're having across the country um, right now about higher education, college education, university education, um, some of those conversations in the culture, which most center around right now, the president's scheme to forgive um, student debt. But it has led to conversations about the value of such an education. If people amassed hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt, what kind of education were they receiving? that they continued to pile debt upon themselves. Like, clearly they weren't taking math classes. Did they not learn about financial management somewhere along the way as they were getting all of these uh, degrees in higher ed? Did they not learn about the burden their debt would create along the way? Um, Many of the people with large student debt have multiple graduate uh, degrees from liberal arts institutions. So what did they learn? I mean, what is a liberal arts education anyway? What's exactly happening at so-called liberal arts colleges today? I'm going to ask Bruce Ashford what a liberal arts education is supposed to be, because what it has become is not an education at all. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Bruce Ashford is joining us uh, again today. You can find him at bruceashford.net. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. It's good to be on the show again. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's wonderful to talk with you. I want to just straight up ask you, what is a liberal arts education supposed to be? What does that even mean? And what has it become? Yes, you know, when people hear liberal arts, I mean, we know it's kind of a phrase that's used with education. We're not sure what it means. And for people who are conservative theologically and and uh, and politically and so forth, you know, you wonder about the use of the word liberal. But, you know, the liberal arts just means a generous education. And by generous, it means that this is an education that, that should expose us to a lot of different type of content um, over many different years. And so a liberal arts education should expose people to the best thinking in history, literature, art, philosophy, theology, languages, uh, you name it. And there's there's three aspects to a liberal art education. First is that it instills in a person content blocks of knowledge, right? It gives us knowledge. Take history, for example. Here's what happened in um, American history. Here's what happened in European history. Here's what happened in world history. So content blocks of knowledge. And if you're in radio land, this stuff is going to matter in a minute. So stay hooked or boring. Uh, So the first thing he gives us is content blocks of knowledge. Second, it teaches us how to analyze those content blocks of knowledge. You're to take the Mm. discipline of history again. So now we know what happened in history. Now let's analyze it. Why did it happen? Um, If it's something that's good. Um, how can we make it happen again? If it's something that's bad, how can we stop it from happening? That's analysis. Then the third step is communication. 
So once we have knowledge in our heads and we're able to analyze it and draw conclusions, how do we communicate it effectively? And this is an excellent way to educate. It's a large, I mean, it grows out of the Christian faith. I mean, it was, it was Christian universities that started this type of education. Um, it served uh, uh, the Western world and the, and the whole world very well, but right now it's on the way out. Yeah, when I when I think about the word um, liberal, and I appreciate you substituting essentially the word generous. If I were to think about a generous education um, and uh, a generous uh, a university or a college that was um, teaching a generous education, that actually helps me understand that what we're talking about is a breadth of a scope, a wide scope of information, not something that is narrow and um, and really teach designed to teach a particular um, very narrow view. Right. It's the opposite of narrow. Um, right. And and when I look at what's happening at colleges and universities today, particularly those that describe themselves as liberal arts, what I actually see is a very like forced conformity like um i'm thinking here about the ways that um even people applying for positions at colleges and universities are being forced to sign pledges of conformity or prove in advance that they've you know demonstrated diversity equity and inclusion um in their approach to teaching like it we have we haven't just narrowed the scope of what is taught. We are really narrowing the scope of who's even going to be allowed to teach in these so-called liberal arts colleges and universities. I mean, I, I think it's bad. I think what's happening is bad. Yeah, I mean, so right now, I mean, what's happened in the past, over the past 50 years is that a number of educators, uh, especially elite educators, um, have decided that education should do something more, quote unquote, practical than the liberal arts. Now, the liberal arts are incredibly practical. If you take a very practical guy like Mark Cuban, you know, the, the billionaire who started, uh, God only knows how many uh, companies that have been extraordinarily successful. Cuban says um, the best education for the 21st century, even for people in STEM jobs, math, technology, et cetera, the best education is liberal arts education. Why? Because. Um, a liberal arts education teaches a student how to think on his or her feet. Mm -hmm. um, they've got a mastery of a lot of knowledge. They know how to analyze it. They know how to communicate it. And so, um, but, but what has happened is educators have decided that the better thing to do is either number one, vocational training for all of your classes to be about some, something that you want to do, or um, education should be about political activism. And so the mm -hmm. university should either be basically a, a trade school or a hotbed for political um, activism. And I think this is a perversion of uh, good education. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to a trade school. If you decide to go to a trade school and that what you want out of your education is to, you know, to learn how to um, run a farm or um, fix a Mercedes-Benz engine or whatever, then you can go and get that type of education. But if you're going to get a broader education that will prepare you for life in general, um, then you shouldn't be lied to by educators and show up expecting an incredible, you know, education instead get a trade school. Conversely, if you're going to get a great education, you shouldn't go to a campus where, um, you, you know, your professors are locked in sort of a, a uniform. They're sort of waddling together towards some political goal. 
and teaching you to be uh, um, uh, think the way they think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to- totally agree. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Bruce Ashford here in just a moment. Um, I'm going to talk. I'm going to lift up this piece that's posted at BruceAshford.net in defense of private Christian schools. As we go back to school this year, um, just want to you know talk a little more deeply about the value of a Christian education. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're talking with Dr. Bruce Ashford. Um, some of us did not get a liberal arts education, a broad, generous uh, education. We, you know, jumped right in. If we went to college or we went to a university, we jumped right into our major as soon as we could. And then we got um, pretty much in, into a tunnel and worked in that direction. Um, so we may have missed out. Uh, I want to turn you on to something called uh, DIYgenius.com, doityourselfgenius.com how to get a liberal arts education without going to university. There's a four-year reading list there. Um, and uh, in each year, you, you know, you have a reading list in, um, well, classical liberal arts, for a, uh, lack of a better way to describe it. You're going to learn the Socratic method, I mean, on, on and on and on. It's, um, uh, it's a hard reading list, I'll confess, and I probably wouldn't get it done in four years, but there you go. It is available. You can have a do-it-yourself um, liberal arts education. It's available at DIYgenius.com. Um, let's talk about, uh, Bruce, let's talk about Christian education, particularly private school education. Why do private Christian schools get such a bad rap in the in the public conversation today? And um, And then let's defend them. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, Christian schools do get a bad rap. Every once in a while, it's the fault of the school that it gives an unserious education and plays off of the word Christian uh, just to to draw students to the school and doesn't give a great education. But almost always, Christian liberal arts uh, schools are, they're just about the only institution still giving a liberal arts education. What is a Christian liberal arts education? A Christian liberal arts education is a, a liberal arts education that edu- educates students generously and across the disciplines, history, literature, you know, uh, uh, science, philosophy, uh, religion, etc., but does so from a Christian perspective. Now, it doesn't muffle other perspectives. Students in a, doing a Christian liberal arts education will read a philosopher who is an atheist and will read the atheist writing in his own words. Uh, Christian liberal arts education will read a piece of literature written by somebody who uh, does not hold the same view that we we hold and will read uh, 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 that book and that author's own words, but will then learn to analyze what that author said from a Christian perspective and then to communicate their viewpoint about that book um, uh, effectively. 
That's a Christian liberal arts education. Now, this type of education is frightening to many people in our nation. Mm -hmm. It's frightening, number one, because uh, many people in the higher ed realm and in the educational realm and many people in our country don't like the historical Christian perspective. And they think the only shot they have of cleansing this nation from this sort of backwards or evil thinking, the only shot they've got is a publicly a public monopoly in education. That if we can just force every child in America to go get away from their backwards parents, um, and we can get them into a public school, we can indoctrinate them. And so that's so what one thing that they um, that they that they don't like about a Christian liberal arts education. Um, and then you know I, I think a second thing is that they just want education mainly to be um, uh, political. Advocacy. activism Advocacy. Or, or job yeah. training or whatever. Yeah. Um, so when you talk about um, private Christian schools, um, I think that, you know, the the first thing that people probably think is I can't afford that. Um, and, you know, Bruce, I want to see churches and um, maybe those who have already raised their kids um, or didn't have kids. Uh, you know, I, I want to see Christians really helping others, helping families um, get their kids into private Christian schools. Um, and so I don't know if a clearinghouse yeah. could be created for that or some kind of, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to say that you know, there has to be a program with big oversight, but I would love to see that happening on the, you know, on the most local of levels. The best way for that to happen is for our nation to give uh, uh, vouchers. So that if a parent wants their child educated uh, from a Christian perspective and a parent has been paying taxes that go to, to, to toward education for the entirety of that parent's life or for 35 or 40 or 45 or 50 years uh, of, of their life, that their taxes should be able to go to towards sending their children to a Christian liberal arts education and not merely a whatever, you know, public school the kid has been assigned to. Mm -hmm. um, for, for whatever reason, um, that just that makes sense to me. It makes sense to at least fifty percent of the people in our nation. And I hope that some of our um, our elected officials can accomplish this. What it's going to take is it's going to take people out there in Radio Land, which is uh, you know it's America. It, uh, those of you who are listening, you're citizens. Um, you know, so I would encourage you to write a letter to your congressman to uh, find ways in coffee shop conversations and, and, and Facebook exchanges and so forth to put this matter of tax vouchers on the radar. And there are a, there's a vastly increased number of Americans who want tax vouchers. It is not fair for working class Americans to be unable to choose where their kids go to school while wealthy Americans are able to choose. Mm -hmm. It's not fair under our system. Yeah, I, um, I mean, one of the things I'm just... Uh... I'm so aware of is that the people who who are advocating for other people to not be able to send their kids to the school of their choice often send their kids to the school of their choice. Um, and yes. so, yeah. And so I just think that, you know, wherever you live, whoever is making decisions about whether or not you um, have access to uh, a voucher, a voucher program to send your kid to the school of your choice, religious or otherwise, um, check out where their kids go to school. Um, and in many, many cases, their kids are going to very expensive elite schools. They're not going to public schools. And, um, right. and so I just I just I always think that's always a good 
that's always a good inquiry to make. Where do where do your kids go to school? Um, and when they answer that question, you know, just, you know, I, yeah, I just think it's you obviously have school choice. Why can't I have school choice? I mean, that's a good conversation to have with any elected official or person in, um, you know, in service as a uh, as a government employee. And, uh, you know, students who graduate graduate with a Christian liberal arts degree, I mean, the studies are there. Uh, I do uh, much better on average than students who don't have that sort of degree. If they've had that sort of um, um, education through high school, they excel in college. If they've had that sort of education in college, they're going to tend to excel um, in life and the workplace and, and et cetera. All right. Um, all right. Um, Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I, if you're not aware of what's going on in Fairfax County and the public schools there, that might be something um, interesting for you to turn your attention to. Um, apparently, the school system thinks that they are the parents and they don't need to inform parents um, about what is happening with their minor children in uh, in public school. And, and anyway, it's a perversion of um, of everything that I think most of us thought public schools were designed to do um, and entrusting our kids to them. So you might want to check that out. You and Carmen, I talk thanks about for it. having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. That's Bruce Ashford. He's a fellow uh, research fellow at the Kirby Lang Center. You can find um, what we talked about today and a lot of other good resources at BruceAshford.net. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. All right. In case, um, in case you heard Bruce Ashford say that uh, that getting a a trade degree or working in a trade was um, was any uh, in any way um, less than um, less than good, please don't hear that. That's not what he meant. Um, he's trying to make a distinction between those who choose to pursue a liberal arts education. Um, and those who choose to pursue uh, a different uh, route toward their preferred vocation, um, and even those who prefer not to go to a liberal arts school should still get a liberal arts education. That's why I'm you know, recommending the sort of do-it-yourself version. Like, we all need to be read in um, and informed about history and how Western civilization came to be and the founding documents of this country. And like, we all need to read broadly and understand um, where we are at this place in human history and certainly at this place in American history in order to substantively engage in the conversations of the day. So no slight there um, on uh, farming or trucking or mechanicking or plumbing. Thank God for every single person in every kind of trade today, um, I know that I am, I mean, really indescribably thankful for people who like literally work hard and do hard work um, and see and recognize the value of it. So hopefully you did not um, feel discouraged, but encouraged to pursue a liberal arts education on your own. Um, if you didn't get one um, on your way sort of through the educational path. And if you think you got one, check back around and see if you actually got one or if you just got a sheet of paper that says you got one and you never really got a liberal arts education that was genuinely broad and 
takes in the full scope of um, of of what it means to be a person of broad, generous education, because that's what we're talking about, so that we can be good analysts of what's happening and then articulate ourselves or communicate those things, hopefully in in ways that are effective, which I may or may not have just done. All right. um, A little innovation news out there today. California. I'll phrase it this way. California is driving away from fossil fuels. Uh, They made a big move. Um, California is the country's largest auto market. And they have decided that the sale of new gas-powered cars is going to be banned starting in 2035. So it's a graduated system, and so the percentage increases until it gets to 100% in 2035. Um, There are apparently like 12 other states that uh, will likely follow California's auto emissions plan, and that would encompass then a full third of um, of the country in terms of auto sales. So there you go. Uh, I, you know, I think part of the challenge here is that electric vehicles, you know, even the cheap ones cost over 60 grand. And that is just not within reach for most of us um, as regular, ordinary, you know, go to work people. So uh, they're going to have to bring the cost of electric vehicles down if they intend for more and more of us to buy them. All right. We're going to... Um, find out what's happening in the world here in the news and then chris martin is going to join us and we're going to talk about um moms who have been lost to facebook like right what does it look like when um when your mom or your grandma literally gets lost in facebook that's up next here on mornings with carmen Chris Martin is joining us. Uh, You can read what he's writing at his Terms of Service newsletter. He is a content marketing editor at Moody Publishers and the author of Terms of Service. Um, Chris, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. We're actually going to start with a piece you did not write, but um, it's so good and I think so helpful for people. It's by Patrick Miller. It's at thegospelcoalition.org, and it's entitled, I Lost My Mom to Facebook. It's an article about um, pastoring or shepherding a flock um, of people today in the midst of social media. So maybe introduce us to, uh, you know, to this character at the beginning um, who lost her mom to Facebook. Yeah, sure. Patrick is a friend of mine, and he and I text almost daily about social media things like this. And so I was really excited when he said this. he was writing this, and uh, and it turned out as well as I had hoped. So yeah, he wrote this article called I Lost My Mom to Facebook, and, and here's how it starts. Sherry began to cry. Her husband put an arm around her, pulled her close, and said, it will all be okay. It was a kind sentiment, but it was wrong. She'd lost her mother. Not to death, but to Facebook. Over a period of three years, her elderly mom went from Facebook illiterate to Facebook junkie. From a great-grandma liking photos of her great-grandkids to a full-blown QAnon conspiracy theorist posting wild articles. Sherry wondered, Sherry watched as her mom transformed into a godly, from a godly woman to a woman who was an anxiety-filled propagandist, warning her daughter, Sherry, that the end was coming. Sherry tried to intervene, but failed multiple times. Now she was crying in my office, Patrick's office, saying, I lost my mom to Facebook. 
Patrick, the author of this article, responded, I know it's hard, but you're not alone. Your mom isn't the first person I've, I've seen transformed by social media. There are so many even here in our church. And this story that Patrick has experienced as a pastor himself and somebody who writes on these things kind of like I do, uh, I've heard stories like this from a number of pastors as I've uh, not only written my newsletter over the years, but especially in preparation and writing my next book called The Wolf in Their Pockets, which which details uh, a couple of stories like this and and kind of helps uncover the reality that um, this is happening across the country and, and theoretically around the world. Uh, social media is the greatest force of discipleship in our churches. Um, and aside from the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, uh, which is is present and uh, and we can be grateful that God is working in our churches through the Holy Spirit and 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 through leaders. Uh, social media really is discipling us and discipling all kinds of people far more than the local church often is. Um, and a lot of that's due to time. And a lot of that's due to complex behavior modification uh, tools and, and technologies. But the, but it's a sad reality, and it's a real one. And this story from Patrick is uh, is more common than maybe uh maybe you would think yeah i um i heard russell moore talk about this recently at a one um one america movement meeting i heard david ritchie from amarillo texas talk about this at an american values coalition meeting everybody is telling stories that pastors are sharing with them um that absolutely reflect what patrick miller has written in this article i lost my mom to facebook uh i am hearing it from people who text in talking about their spouse um, or their, in many cases, it's a person who is in a generation above the one that they are in. So like for me, it's my mom's generation, but for other people, it's their grandma, right? Or something or their aunt. And so um, why, why is it, I mean, maybe you have a sense of why is this sucking older people in more than younger people? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked this question because uh, my family and I were taking the day off today. I'm taking the day off. We're going to Chattanooga. I'm speaking at an event for student ministry leaders tomorrow about social media and students and how how we should think about that as student ministry leaders. And I'm I'm kind of speaking to them as as one of them. Um, but unfortunately, Carmen, a lot of these conversations that I get into. And in fact, I was just on another radio program the other day where this kind of came up. Um, a lot of pastors in church leaders and people in general, but especially pastors and, and church leaders throughout the church relegate social media as to, to the youth room as a, so mm. as a student ministry problem. A lot of people somehow are still living in 2006 thinking that only young people are on social media. Um, when clearly a statistics show and obviously personal experience shows us all that everybody is on social media at this point. Uh, regardless of age, and um, even my my eighty seven year old grandmother, eighty eight year old grandmother's friends are on Facebook. Um, it's not it, social media is pervasive, irrespective of age at this point. And so, uh, I think the reason older people are led astray by Facebook, uh, and I, I want to be careful in how I say this, uh, um, is because they are totally new to it and have never they have very low internet literacy levels 
Um, I mean, it, because Carmen, these are the same people who get duped by uh, phishing emails. You know, uh, that email saying like, "Hey, we need your bank account number because you know, uh, you know, you need to be able to get access to this service." And can you just email us your social security number and bank account number or whatever? And and then they, I mean, it's it's older people who are preyed upon for scams, whether by phone, you know, in the past or even in the present and via the Internet all the time. And so it's no wonder that the same group of people who are older um, recognize that they're perhaps a little bit out of touch with how how the world works. And and sometimes they're lamenting that on Facebook. Um, But but I I think a sort of result of that, a sort of um, fruit of that is they don't really know how to discern what's true and not true online. Um, and it's, I've said this before, I don't know if I've said it here or not, but, um, I think a lot of teenagers are actually using the internet a lot more wisely than their grandparents are. And Mm -hmm. that's not to say teenagers are using it perfectly. (laughs) They trust me. I work with teenagers at church. They're using it plenty in plenty of foolish ways, but these teenagers aren't usually being led astray by memes on Facebook. Um, mm-hmm. They might be led astray by the occasional YouTuber or something like that, but they're, but they're not um, being turned by a lot of the most insidious content on the, on the internet, which is found on, on Facebook a lot of times. I want to, um, I want to circle back around to Patrick's article um, because I think that the, the points that he outlines um, at the end of the piece, how to shepherd your flock in the social media era are so good. Um, So this is counsel to pastors um, and other church leaders, um, those of you who are in a position to um, shepherd and counsel those who may be prone to be um, led astray, pray, preach about social media, teach on media literacy, develop a theology of the news. Um, Those are the first four. Talk with us, Chris, about what it means to create digital antibodies, because this is, I think, uh, this is a good good point. Yeah, this is my this was my favorite. I told Patrick this is my favorite part of his article, um, mm. and uh, because I think it it makes a wonderful case for why abstaining from social media isn't the right answer necessarily when we when we recognize social media like the problems with social media like when we recognize terrible stories like he shared at the beginning, um, we 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 may be we may think oh well, well we should just like eradicate social media from our churches and like say nobody should be on social media and we should just like log off delete our accounts and that's like well okay i understand the sentiment but that's not probably going to solve the problem and i think one of the best ways to address the problem is exactly what he says here which is to create digital antibodies which the best way to describe it is just like as a church as pastors and church leaders one of the antidotes for the sickness that social media is wreaking on your church is to create good online content um like everything this isn't a silver bullet but one of the one of the best ways that churches can help uh their members and attenders have a better relationship with social media and with internet content in general is to create internet content that is helpful encouraging pointing people to the truths of the gospel and and the truths of scripture generally um and so i think this is a great point that patrick makes that um one one of the ways it's not certainly not the only way nor is it going to solve everything but one of the ways that pastors and church leaders can reckon with the reality that social media disciples their church members more frequently than they do 
is to create content and deliver it through the social media platforms that are most prevalent in the local church. And that might vary from church to church. A younger church might be more TikTok and YouTube oriented. An older church is going to be more Facebook oriented. And so as a pastor, as church leaders, try to study your church and figure out where are my people consuming content and then try to create good, encouraging, Christ-honoring content in those channels. Um, and I think I think that's a really good – and that can be a lot of work and there are some – there are some steps to do that most efficiently and effectively. You shouldn't just like start tweeting or something like that. Like there, there are a strategy is important. In fact, I'm working on a piece right now called "All Churches Have a Content Strategy," and I think mm. I'll, I'll probably cite this and like how how this plays in because every church has a content strategy simply by how you plan your worship. Like that's a content strategy, and what your just what your sermon series is is on. Like that's a content strategy, and so I think that should spill over to social media in whatever ways the local church pastor and church leaders can functionally make that happen. Social media should never be on the top of any pastor's priority list. Uh, hospital visits, counseling should all always come before <laughs> something like this. But I think given the incredibly powerful nature of social media, I think the uh, that, that having a presence on social media, creating some content online should maybe be a little bit higher up the priority list than it's maybe been in the past. All right. Um, I love this. This piece is excellent. Again, um, you guys can... Um you can find it at thegospelcoalition.org. Um, you can also get it in my show notes if you get the podcast or go to myfaithradio.com after the show's over. Um, the link to this article, I Lost My Mom to Facebook by Patrick Miller, um, is going to be in there under the Chris Martin portion of uh, the conversation today. Hey, we're going to be right back. Chris is going to tell us what's the deal with Be Real. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of what we do on live radio every day. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you at MyFaithRadio.com. Right now, we're inviting you to share your Faith Radio story. What do you love about Faith Radio? What do you love about Mornings with Carmen? How has this program changed the way you think or the way you live, the way you engage others in the conversations of the day? We really do want to hear from you. Your story could encourage someone else and certainly glorify God. So share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leave us a message today. Again, thanks for listening. Chris Martin is with us. You can find him um, and his writings at the Terms of Service blog at termsofservice.social. Chris, you've told us in the past a little bit about Be Real, um, but Be Real is definitely now on the rise, which you told us it would be. But what's the deal with Be Real? Yeah, so Be Real uh, came into existence during the pandemic in 2020. It was created by a Frenchman who who used to work for GoPro, actually, which explains the emphasis on photography in the app. Um, but it really started to pop up on my radar back in the spring, which is probably when I mentioned it to you. And then it, it kind of it kind of uh, simmered over the summer, as as any trend with teenagers is want to do. Like um, teenagers aren't together a lot during the summer, and so the word doesn't get out about various trends or, or or things like that. And so in the summer, be real. While it had started to grow in the spring, kind of didn't die off, but it definitely kind of 
kind of was flatlining in the summer. And then as soon it's like it's so funny, like end of July, as soon as August hits, Be Real just exploded. And I just I, I think it's so fascinating and it's so fun to watch how teenagers really do drive uh, some of the 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 edge of social media trends and and things like that while i said in our previous segment that social media is far from just being a teenager or student ministry issue how and that's true but young people still do drive the future of social media which is why like we talked about i think before uh the social media stats from the pew research center looking at stats about how teens use social media is incredibly important uh because it often is indicative of how we'll all be using it soon enough and so be real is a social media platform that is really focused on images like it's it's a photo sharing social media platform like like the earliest days of Instagram before it was ruined um, and the whole point is to promote authenticity so there's just a two minute window once a day every day and it's the same in each time zone so everybody in central time would get the same two minute window and eastern time would get the same two minute window and you must post a photo within that two minute window you get a notification on your phone that says it's time to be real and you open up the application and it takes a picture of your back camera and your selfie camera of whatever you are doing at that time you can take a picture of you know the sky or the you know the sunset or if you know if it's in the evening or or you can take a picture of what you're eating for lunch if it pops up while you're eating lunch you don't it's a different time every day you don't know when it's going to come up and you just take a picture of what's going on and when you take the picture and share it, uh, you can then see all of your friends' pictures of what they're doing during that two-minute time period when it's, quote, time to be real. Um, there is very limited, like, commenting and reacting to photos. There is no direct messaging at this time. There is no video. There are no ads. There are no, uh, you know, all, all these kind of bloated features that are starting to creep into all of these other platforms, especially Instagram. It's really a platform that's, Super simple, stripped down, meant to be a place for people to post what's going on in their lives. No fil- there are no filters, no no editing, no photo editing going on. Um, and and I think there's a real appeal to it for young people, a, a young a young a group of young people who, if they're in college, perhaps remember the earliest days of Instagram and how and how real and authentic it sort of felt before it changed. And a group of young people, you know, who are in high school who never knew an Instagram that felt more authentic than it does today. Because there is the time there is a time when Instagram felt more authentic than it does mm-hmm. today. And today it just feels so highly produced and things like that. Um, but but be real, really. Ca- it also has a sort of Wordle like quality. Like I think, you know, when Wordle exploded last year or whatever, when, and there was this appeal of like uh of being constrained like I can only play one word all a day like and that's what mm-hmm. makes it fun and we're all playing the same word in this uh, be real has a similar quality in that you can only take and share one photo a day and you're doing it at the same time as everybody who you're friends with if they live in your same time zone that's the other cool thing is be real really only encourages you to connect with people you know or who are at least in your in your phone um, there's no like going viral on be real like nobody can go mm-hmm. viral on be real because there's no discover feature there's no hashtagging it's really meant to be a hyper local share about your life with people you know and don't try to make yourself seem more interesting than you actually are so, so I think good. it's a really interesting yeah I think it's interesting I do think it's okay. probably going to be short-lived because I think Instagram is probably going to just add a feature that kills it but we'll see what happens <laughs> 
Okay, I have two observations. First of all, if you are um, an educator listening right now, um, social anxiety <laughs> is going to rise if this thing goes off during school. And, totally. Um, because they only have two minutes, and they're going to have social anxiety about getting their getting their Be Real post in those two minutes. So just know that if you're an educator. Um, and your kid may lose access to their phone for the rest of the day. Like, right, the teacher's going to take it away after that. Like, I, I don't know. that that There's some chaos potential there. And then if you're a pastor and the thing goes off in the middle of a sermon and you uh, don't, you know, don't wonder why everybody's phone comes up to the level of their face, because that's what's going to happen. Like, right, because everybody's going to take a take their picture right then. Yeah, I'm just yeah, saying, like, funny. I'm just saying there are some environments in which and some constraints related to where phones are allowed or not allowed today and what you're allowed to be doing with them in those environments. I'm just, you know. Yeah. Airplane mode. I'm just, uh, you know, uh, yeah. You, you see my you see my concern for places and spaces where that two minute window is going to mean that something is actually disrupted. A lecture, oh, yeah, a totally. sermon, a totally. funeral. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so many so many instances. And I think the the um the one piece of pushback I would have there is that a 13 year old is probably hopping on their phone in class already. Uh, but what's different is they would all be doing it at the exact same time. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> I mean, you would know, you I, would I, see I have, it. You yeah, would see it I, as I an joked, educator. Yeah. I've joked with some teacher friends about about how this could how how this could be disruptive in the classroom, and I've not heard any actual stories of it yet. But I'm sure I'm sure there will be plenty. Uh, so yeah, it will be it'll be interesting. But I, and like I said though, I do think um, it's such a simple platform, and it's so and it's so pure in that way. Um, that unfortunately, I mean, I just really think that Snapchat, I mean, Snapchat adding this feature as like a, as like doing exactly what Be Real does on Snapchat would be brilliant, I think, because it fits Snapchat's informality so well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and it could sort of be an, an addendum to stories on Snapchat, which let's, let's not forget Snapchat invented the stories feature. Um, but then Instagram, Instagram just always copies and steals other people's ideas all the time. And so it's actually already been leaked that Instagram is is testing, basically copying what Be Real does. So I think the Be Real thing is appealing and it's interesting, but I do think that people like to consolidate apps and that eventually, you know, Instagram may just stomp this one out. It gets sucked into something else. Hey, um, Chris, as always, thank you so much. Blessings uh, on your weekend. That is Chris Martin. You can and should find him at his Terms of Service, excuse me, Terms of Service Substack at termsofservice.social. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, let's uh, let's end where we began this hour. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.